Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It is great to see you today. Hopefully, you're enjoying this wonderful fall weekend in Wisconsin. Yes? No? A little breezy for you? Okay, good. Good. Hey, if you laugh, at least at some of my feeble attempts at humor, this makes us a whole lot easier and it goes a lot faster. Okay, it's going to be a long day. All right, good. Well, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad to be here. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 20, the book of Acts chapter 20. We're going to get there in just a minute. Starting a brand new series called Game Changers. And in this series, we're really what we're really talking about is how that life, Monday through Friday, life and living, uh, it, it's not done kind of like a game in, in a half or in a quarter, but it's the, it's the full long range and there are ups and downs, and there are ins and outs, and there's a, things to navigate through. How do you do that successfully? Uh, what does God's Word say about that? Whether you're trying to get uh, to the next level in your business, whether you're, you're, you're trying to accomplish what God's put in your heart, whether you're just trying to, whether you're a high school student or a college student, whether you're single, you're married, you're empty nest, you're full nest, half nest, doesn't matter, you don't even have a nest. Uh, it doesn't matter. Wherever you are, you're trying to go somewhere. You're trying to accomplish something. There's something that's in front of you. How do you do that, and how does that work? And what happens is, is we've all found this to be true, that life isn't simple, and it's not uncomplicated. Therefore, there are just times in our lives that we're trying to navigate. So how do we do that? And, um, and one of the best examples of game changers are these momentum shifts that happen. If you talk to coaches or athletes, uh, momentum is something that can just change on a play or on a dime. And last weekend, I, this is kind of a, a, a is, I thought, man, this is great. It's a living illustration. I know what I'm preaching. And so last Sunday, I happened to be in Dallas preaching at a church there. Just so happened. And just so happened, the Green Bay Packers just happened to be there. Just so happened I was ready and prepared because I made this shameless uh, uh, statement in my message about how, man, it would be so great to go and see uh, the Dallas Cowboys play the Green Bay Packers at Jerry's house. You know, Jerry Jones, and right there at Texas in Arlington Stadium, and to be able to do that. And so the church I was at, the, the pastor came with me afterwards and said, hey, man, we, there's a, a guy in the church who, uh, their season ticket holders and all of that, bought us some amazing seats. So we're going to the game. I'm like, yes, I feel Jesus. And so, and I was fully ready <laughs> because I'm not a Cowboys fan. I've, I've never been a Cowboys fan. I know. And, uh, I, you know, and so I, I'm a, I'm a, uh, uh, Packers fan, and so I brought my, my jersey. Now, Brad Rosenberg, who's going to be with us for the marriage retreat, he and his wife Angie, I'm telling you, if you've not signed up for the marriage retreat, you need to come be a part. That is going to be a blast. If you go to the marriage retreat and you don't laugh, I'll give you your money back. That's, that's just what I'm going to say to you. Brad, Brad is, they're just going to give a, anyhow, just, this is going to be a great time. Brad, I was preaching for Brad in Cincinnati, pastor the great church in Cincinnati, and, and he gives gifts for the guest speakers. And so he got me this Green Bay Packer jersey. He said, I called Tammy, and I found out no one had ever gotten you like your own personalized NFL jersey. I was like, no. And so anyhow, so he gets me one. It's got my name on the back and the whole deal. So I'm rocking that. And then I got these slamming Nike new Cortez tennis shoes, which are like, there's no new school like the old school. You know what I'm talking about? Any kids of the 80s? Holla. I'm talking, these are like Phil Knight originals and they're green and gold. I dropped some coin on these things. But I, so I'm just, I'm like, I'd be ready to go to the game. And then I show up, holla. And so anyhow, there is no shame in my game. You can't wear pants like this as a shame in your game. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so I'm with these cowboy fans, and they're hating on me. They're drinking some haterade. I got it. 
walk into the stadium. It ain't over. Just hang on. Get in there. And, of course, you got cowboy fans. And, and Jerry, like, sells everything in the house. Like, if there's a step that you can visually see the game, there's a, there's a ticket to that step. I mean, every stairwell, everything. It's crazy. And so the game's going. And the first half wasn't the greatest, just to be really honest. I mean, it was like Rodgers was getting just hammered, just sacked. Boom, boom. And, of course, the cowboy fans... Again, God help all these Texans, but they're, you know, they're kind of like, God bless Texas, right? Thank you. The rest of the other 49 states of the union that you have us in your union. So that comes across in their football just a little bit. And uh, so anyhow, so they're going, I'm like, it ain't over. Just hang on. So halftime comes and the whole deal. And, and then we're, we're there. And then there's this game changing moment where all of a sudden Rogers begins to control the clock and does what he does. He begins to work it and boom, boom, boom. And before you know it, the shift happens. And all of a sudden, man, those cowboy fans that were all, like, animated and nice before kind of got a little nasty. little girl in front of me, I say girl, she's probably 25, 26. She's about 20 years younger than me, and she is half inebriated. And, and of course, she's giving me the Hawaiian hello and that kind of a deal. And it's just kind of crazy all around. Of course, I'm smiling. We're high-fiving every Packer fan around. And, you know, we Packer people are kind of quiet people. And, and it was just fun. It was just a great time. So then to walk out of the stadium, you know, it's just anyhow. Game changers. That's what we're talking about, is when the game shifts, when the momentum shifts, how do you create that in your life? How do you create that in your business? How do you create that in your marriage? How do you create that in your home? And your followership of Jesus Christ, those are ways to do that. And Paul talks about that, and we're going to get to that in just a second, in Acts chapter 20. I want to give you a statement today. We never get there overnight. It's always a process. If you're taking notes, just write that down. We never get to wherever we're trying to arrive overnight. We never get to the destination overnight. It's always a process. I want to talk today about the process of this game change. There's a process. There's an intentionality behind it. There's an understanding of the dynamics and principles that go through game-changing shifts in your leadership. And so I want to walk you through that. And before I get into that, every one of these messages, I'm going to be preaching all the messages in this series. Uh, we're going to have an interview or a video interview uh, testimony of a coach or an athlete that has experienced whatever we're talking about of that particular game change. And today when we talk about the process, you know, Life Church member Craig Raditz uh, grew up here in this area uh, and uh, played football in high school here, went on to play in the 80s uh, for the Wisconsin Badgers, was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, and uh, just talks about the story of the process of this game changing. It's not an overnight event. It's always a process. Check out this video. Wisconsin now, third down 11, Kentucky from the 12. Phillips in motion. Ransville. To Joe Phillips, to the five. It's going to be short, of course, of the first down. He had to get to the one-yard line. Craig Raddatz with the tackle. Craig Raddatz with his 10th tackle, by the way, out of the linebacker spot. There's the story of the game. My name is Craig Raddatz. My wife and I, Mary, have been attending here at Life Church for about two years. Ever since I was young, I really felt God's faithfulness in his hand upon, uh, upon my life. Uh, eighth grade year, I came home from camp actually, and my dad was all excited because there was a new program called Cedarburg Colts football. Uh, fortunately, I jumped right in and uh, I knew right there that I just loved football and I loved the passion of the game and that continued for me as I continued to pursue um, the dream of playing college football. That's what it became about. I wanted to play college football so bad, but we were terrible. Uh, we, we truly were. The record showed I think we had two wins in two years. 
Going into my senior year, I worked out all summer with a, with a running back from UW-Stout, and I really believed I could play college football. One game, two games, three games, and four games into my senior year, and I just I hadn't heard from any college. It wasn't a day you know, that went by that I didn't think maybe the dream was, was failing. Soon after the fourth game of the season, I came home on a Monday, and I call it the phone call. The phone rang, and, and I picked it up, and a gentleman said, Craig, this is Doug Graber, University of Wisconsin, and he proceeded to say, hey, we saw you last night, Friday, up at Port Washington. And he said, we like what we saw. We were there to see some other players, but you really stood out. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll put you on our list and we'll call you next year. I said, call me next year. Um, I'm a senior. And he goes, you're kidding. They had you listed as a junior. He said, wow, how would you and your parents like to come up to Camp Randall this weekend? So there were nine linebackers that were recruits for that season and when you walk in and you see yourself at number eight on the depth chart it's 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 pretty overwhelming I just decided I was just gonna keep my head down work hard I wasn't without a ton of ups and downs some really hard struggles um, some things with my parents divorcing and middle through my college um, you know those kind of things that are life but in the end um, by my sophomore year I had I was in a starting position and uh, finished up through the end of my career, um, my senior year, being a co-captain, all Big Ten, both athletically and uh, academically, and it was just an amazing, amazing experience. I was drafted in the 1987 NFL Draft by the Cincinnati Bengals. When that all occurred, um, it truly was one of those things that um, I, I shook my head on God's faithfulness through all of this, of uh, um, the unlikely journey of what I had been on. Um, and yet, through that, I just sensed in my gut that um, maybe, you know, my dream was college football. And even though I went to Cincinnati and I was ready to give it my very best. Sure enough, the first couple of weeks, I received a neck injury, and, uh, and life changed again. And even through that experience, what really came to me is I'm still looking back and say, thank God that he was faithful because he had other plans for uh, uh, where he wanted me to go. So since that point, um, we've been in Mequon for about 22 years now. I'm in real estate development. Um, and we have three kids, wonderful kids. Um, fortunately, we have one at, uh, that's a junior in high school right now playing at Homestead. And he's starting to enjoy some of the possibility of thinking about college football himself. So it's been a real blessing. So often in my life, I've had the opportunity to sit with someone and who's struggling through a difficult situation and absolutely I go back to kind of my life verses uh, Matthew 6 25 through 34 uh, especially verses 33 and 34 seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you he says do not worry do not worry about tomorrow for each day has enough trouble of its own and, and, and tomorrow will worry about itself and that is just so comforting to me I go back to that so often and I see his faithfulness I mean it's a wild ride and uh, all of us go through it. We gotta just keep believing in the faithfulness that God will come through as he always does. So you hear a scripture, you hear a story like that, 
And we're motivated by that, and we're like, yeah, man, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all these things should be added unto you. And, and you go, yeah, I got that, I get that. And then we go out Monday through Friday, and how do we live that out? How do we live out that life that's built first on Christ and then allowing God to do what he wants to do in our lives? How, how do we processively walk through those ups and downs that we face through life, just like Craig was talking through his own story. And so I want to go to a passage of Scripture from a very transparent leader, the Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 20, and where Paul kind of gives us some principles for this process of how we do this. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 22, just three verses here. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However... I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And in, this, in these few verses, Paul kind of gives us insight into these game-changing moments of, of how to, to process through the middle of uncertainty. How do you navigate when you know where you are and you know what you feel like God wants you to do, but you're trying to process through that. You're trying to win the game. And it may not look like you are, and the momentum may not be going your direction. How do you, how do, you do that? Well, well, Paul basically gives us four things in these, these three verses that just kind of helps us to, I think, kind of frame. These are like principles of how do I process because it's not an overnight event, it's a process. How do I process to get to where God's called me and what he's called me to do? The first thing is the Spirit's leading. The Spirit's leading. Paul says in verse 22, he was compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. There's the Spirit's leading. God speaks. He still speaks. It's important to understand that when Paul's writing these words in the, in the New Testament... And it's the first century. Jesus has already ascended to the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit's already been given out. And it's the same dynamic that's happening today in the 21st century. It's happening in the first century post-Christ and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. It's the same way. God speaks the same way then as he does now. God speaks to us. The question isn't, is he speaking? The question is, are we following? Are we listening? Our, is our antenna up? Do we even have the, the TV on? Do we even, do, are we even like completely connected to that? And so God speaks just through his word. That's one of the most powerful things that we have is through his word as God begins to reveal himself over and over and over of who he is. Even passages like this, you begin to look at this and the transparency of a leader who says, I don't know everything, but here's what I know. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but here's what I know. There's this leading of the Holy Spirit. God speaks to us through prayer which isn't a monologue from us or from God. It's a dialogue between us and between God. God speaks just through open doors and closed doors. There are times where you ask God to show up and do something, and he does or he doesn't. And, and, and in those moments, sometimes we can get frustrated because the door doesn't open, but it may be that God's preventing us from going somewhere or doing something that really, if we got what we wanted in the moment, really wouldn't be what we ultimately really need. Does that make sense? There are times where, where we want to go one direction and God does another thing in our life. I mean, I think as I'm preaching even to today, when, when Tammy and I were, were leaving Oklahoma and we were, we were looking to go plant a church, really where I wanted to go, where we wanted to go was Southern California, the southwest or the southeast. We wanted to go to a major metropolitan area to really see people far away from God come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we looked at Las Vegas, we had looked at Southern California, we had looked at, at, at cities in the southeast, and we're like, yeah, that would work, and that would work, and that would work. And everywhere we looked, it was good, but it wasn't a God door. And then all of a sudden, God opens a door to come to Germantown, Wisconsin, which was nowhere on the, on the radar. But I think back 15 years later, 
how different life would be, how much we would have missed out. So many things in our lives would not have happened had we had it the way we wanted it. But God had it the way he wanted it. And 15 years later, we're as happy as a lark. We are just so like, it, you, when you get the, 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 um, the ability of perspective to step back and go, wow, God, you were at work. Wow, God, you orchestrated this. Wow, God, you put all this together. Wow, God, you blessed us with a family. God, what you've done at Germantown, what you've done in Appleton, what you've done at Life Church, what you've done in these people, the relationships. I can't imagine my life without you. I cannot imagine my life without you. I cannot imagine standing on this stage and going, thank you, it's been great, but we're leaving. I, I just can't imagine. I can't imagine my life without the staff. I can't imagine my life without what God's doing and what he's done, and I'm so excited about what he's going to do. But to think 15 years ago, all I had was a leading of the Holy Spirit. All I had was one open door. All there was was less than 100 people in the storefront of 2,000-square-foot room, 4,000-square-foot church. That's all there was. But God knew what he was going to do. And God was doing something. He was simply inviting me to be a part of it because it's a process. Listen, in Milwaukee, it's going to take you 20 years to become an overnight success. Amen? Maybe because it's a little cold in the winter, but that's what it is. And if you're here today and you go, man, Aaron, I, I, I sense something, and I, but I'm not a follower of Christ. That's where it all begins. When people say to me, man, I found Jesus, I don't really buy into that because I don't think you find Jesus. I think he finds you because the Bible says that we're drawn by the Holy Spirit, that God begins to speak to our hearts. And through the drawing of the Holy Spirit, we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we discover he's been there all along. And maybe that's where you're at today. You're going, great, man. The Holy Spirit's going to prompt other people. But what about me? That's what he's doing to you right now, sir. Man, that's what's happening in your heart right now. It's Revelation chapter 3. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will open the door to his heart, I will come in. John 3, 16, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. How does that happen? So glad you asked that question. Romans 10, verse 9, says if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. It all begins with the drawing of the Lord. It all begins with God speaking. And then God continues to speak. God continues to speak. He doesn't just speak for salvation. He continues to speak for every part of your life. And he will draw you just as he did with Paul. He'll do with you. The second principle we see here is the certain uncertainty. I know that sounds like a juxtaposition, but, but it's, it's very true. It, there's a certainty of uncertainty. The one thing we know is that there's going to be uncertainty. Look at the rest of verse 22. Not knowing what will happen to me there. Now, that's a transparent leader to say, I really don't know what's going to happen. All I know is I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that's where I'm supposed to go. I don't know what the end game is going to be. I just know that's what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how this thing completely plays out. That's really how it's supposed to be. Can I just tell you that that's real? That that's not Sunday morning talk? That God doesn't lead in leaps but in steps? And many times God doesn't give you the full enchilada. He doesn't tell you the whole end game. He just simply gives you what you need for right now. He gives you the play for this down. He gives you the, 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 the action for this quarter. He, he just tells you how to play this half. What you know is just what you have in the moment. And sometimes I think we think when we come into faith in Christ that there's no longer any questions. But that's not true. When I'm in Jesus, I'm going to find myself with questions, sometimes even more questions because I become more self-reflective and I began to listen to the voice of the Lord and I'm wanting to make sure I'm hearing God's voice. And so I began to, the Bible says to, to test those things and to push against that and make sure that it's got support in God's word and make sure that there's, there's counsel in, in, uh, in, in the number of many and, and to make sure that I have that. Because here's the reason why God works through questions. 
Here's the reason why questions are never going to go away this side of eternity. Because questions teach you and I to trust. The questions that we have teach you and I to trust. We don't like them. They're uncomfortable. When I don't have an answer and someone asks me, I, I, I want to be like the Bible answer man. Have you ever been that way in your, at your business and somebody asks you some question and you're trying to tell them about your faith in Christ and it's kind of like they stump you and you're like, I wish I just had the answer. And there's just not an easy answer to the question that they're asking. Or, or there's these times in our lives where all of a sudden, you know, I just, I just wish Jesus would have said a little bit more on this subject or if we had a little bit more scripture on this subject. Like parenting, wouldn't it be great to have just a couple of chapters just to say do this, this, and this, and don't do this, this, and this, and don't kill them because grandchildren are great and do this, this, right? <laughs> but it doesn't happen that way. Because it's this tension of having to trust. It's this, I don't know, but I'm certain that I'm not going to know everything. Great leaders inside the church or outside the church will tell you that they don't know everything. Insecure leaders act like they know everything. As followers of Jesus Christ, it's okay to look at people and go, I don't have the answer to that, but here's what I do know, and go into your story. I don't know that, but here's what I do know. I don't know how all this works, but this is what I do know. I don't know really what's happening here, but here's what I do know. See, I'm certain that there are things in my life that I don't know. I'm certain that there are, there are going to be places on this journey that I'm not really going to understand what's going to happen. I just know God told me to go. I don't know what's going to happen when I get to Germantown. I just know I'm supposed to go to Germantown. Maybe that's where you're at today. It's okay. The questions. Listen, God's never off put by your questions. God's not up there going, whoa, I never thought of that. Wow. St. Peter, can you write that one down? That's really good. We need to research that one. Let's get the triune Godhead of the Son and the Holy Spirit together with me, the Father, and let's put, a, let's put a staff meeting together on this one. Let's do an off-site creative review on this one. Wow, I've never thought of that before. No! Neither is he mad by your questions. God's not mad because you ask a question. Matter of fact, questions, again, they teach us to trust. They lead us into that, that, that tension. Speaking of tension, we see this in verse 23, that there's a predictable resistance. There's a predictable resistance. Paul says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that there's prisons and hardships that are facing me. It's kind of like, great, I shaved my legs for this moment. I mean, the, 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 the deal is, is that there's going to be this predictable resistance, that wherever I go, there's going to be this tension. There's going to be this adversity. That's what I do know. Do you, do you know that tension is not negative or doesn't have to be negative? It can actually produce growth in your life. That tension holds this room together in a physical way, that every bridge that you cross is held together by tension, that you and I work on a tension of gravity. That's the reason why the older we get uh, and the weaker our muscles get or the heavier we get, however you want to tell that story, the harder it is to get up out of that seat. It's, it's the gravitational pull because there's a tension, there's a resistance. If you go down to the molecular basis of how you and I breathe in the respiratory system, the, 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 uh, the H2O that we take in and the carbon monoxide that we excel out, it's all based and predicated upon a tension-based system within our lungs and the capacity to be able to breathe. Even the ability to breathe every single breath is based upon a tension. And the tension isn't negative. Why? Because struggle always can produce strength. 
struggle can produce strength in your life. It's like if you're weight training, you continue to add weight, you add reps. Boy, because that struggle will produce strength. You, you, if you're a runner, you continue to push your endurance of how far you can go because the struggle produces strength. The same thing is true in the life of a Christ follower. A calm sea never made a skillful sailor. That when we face trials, when we face adversities, when we don't know what to do, that's when we look up and we go, oh God, I need you right now. I need a game-changing moment right now. I need a moment where the Holy Spirit shows up, calls an audible in my life, and I need a game changer. I need a momentum change. I need something to shift in my life. And that's what God does. And we can know that there's going to be resistance. That's okay. There's going to be people that oppose you. That's okay. Things are not always going to fall into place. That's okay. But the Holy Spirit's with you. And Paul says, look, all I know is that I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen there, but I do know there's going to be hardship. That flies in the face of people saying, well, if it was God's will, it would just all work out. If it's God's will, it would just be easy. No. No, sometimes in our lives, there's just resistance that happens and tension that happens. And just lean into that and work into that. And I'm not saying create tension, create unnecessary disruption. But I am saying that in the middle of all that, God begins to show up and he begins to work and can work through that. And that the struggle actually can produce strength in your life if you'll stay in the struggle. I see this happen with people. Life is good. They don't have time for church. They don't have time for God. Life gets bad. All of a sudden, everybody shows up, and everybody's involved in every ministry, and everybody's doing everything. And then life gets good again, and then they're gone. And life gets bad again, and then they're back. No, 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 no. We need to lean in all the time, the whole time. It's the journey. It's a long play. It's day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out. Because over time, what begins to happen, Paul just talks about this, and this is what we're all looking for, is an uncommon confidence. Verse 24, he ends with this. It's this uncommon confidence. He said, I consider my, wife, my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. What's that task? It's a task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul says, look, man, I, I have this uncommon confidence. I have this strength that comes from what? It comes from a lifetime of predictable resistance, of the struggle producing strength. It comes from a lifetime of certain uncertainty, knowing that I don't know everything, but I know what I need to know, and being okay with questions, being okay sometimes with that. I, it comes from a lifetime of listening to the voice of the Lord and following that out. Listen to the voice of the Lord and following that out. And asking God, God, will you speak in this moment? God, in this moment, in this space, in this time in my life, will you begin to speak? Will you lead me? When was the last time you asked God to speak to you? Sometimes the reason why God doesn't speak is we don't invite him to speak. Because it's uncomfortable, because it's out there, because it's whatever. And, and again, whatever God says, it should be backed up by his word and, and, and that there's safety in the counsel of many, the Bible says. So to have good spiritual advisors around you in your life to help you kind of stay on track because we can all get out in left field if we're not careful. And God knows we don't need any more fruits, flakes, and nuts in the kingdom of God. Amen? Right? So I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about a, a palms-up life. It goes, there's going to be hardships, but I'm okay. There's going to be momentum changes. I'm okay. There's going to be ups and downs. I'm okay. But God, I want you to lead me. I'm okay with uncertainty because I know that you're there in the middle of all that. David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because your staff and your rod, they comfort me. Why? Because the presence of God is there. It doesn't mean that God will, God will allow you to avoid the valley of the shadow of death. That's what we want. 
But what God wants to do is God wants to take us to the valley of the shadow of death. He wants to take us to the very depths of something and bring us back out. The tension, the resistance to bring us back out. Why? Because it produces strength in your life. And you overcome because you can go back and go, I remember when God spoke here. And I remember when God spoke here. And I remember when God spoke here. And over a lifetime of God speaking in your life and you listening and learning how to hear his voice and how to respond creates this confidence. That I don't know everything, but what I do know is that God is in control. It's a rhythm of grace. It's a rhythm. It's a cadence that you kind of go, this is it. This is it. This is it. This is what I need to do. Okay, this is the Lord. I don't understand it. I know there's going to be some hardships. I know there's going to be some things I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how that's going to work out, but there's a rhythm to this, and there's a flow to this, and I stay in that flow, and I stay in that rhythm, and I don't get off the potter's wheel. I just stay in that and allow God to continue to shape me and mold me and form me into what he wants me to be. And that's what God wants to do in your life and in my life. He wants to have us to have game-changing moments. Moments where the momentum shifts for our good and for what he's called us to do. But that only happens when we allow ourselves to stay in the process and allow him to do his work. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you today for your people. I thank you today for what you're doing. And God, I thank you today that how your word speaks to us in real ways, practical steps that we can take, whether at whatever place we are in life, God, whether we're a student, whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're divorced, whether we're down and out, up and over, whether the momentum's going great or we are losing the game of life, you began to bring shifts and things in us if we will just stay in the process. I just pray, Lord, right now, as I know you've been speaking to hearts and lives, God, for people to be drawn to you, Lord, for a relationship with you. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just simply, before we're done today, I want to give you an opportunity. If you're far away from the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to, to give your life to Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I just simply am going to invite you to pray this prayer. And if you believe the prayer that you're about to pray, Jesus is going to come into your heart and into your life and be your Lord and be your Savior. I'm not asking you today whether you, I'm, I'm not asking you for any, if you go to church or if you've gone to church, but you know if you're right with God. You don't need anybody else. You don't need a pastor or a priest to point out your faults or your failures. You know. And if you're here today and you go, Aaron, I'm not right with Jesus, but I want to make things right. I'm not where I need to be with the Lord, but I want to get right with the Lord. I'm not saved. I've not invited Jesus Christ to come into my heart and into my life, and I've not made him Lord and Savior of my life. I want to invite you to do that. And I'm going to ask those people in this room to lend your voice with those that are praying this prayer for the very first time. And let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life, and to be my Lord and be my Savior. I am a sinner, and I believe that you, Jesus, are my salvation. Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins, and rose again. I give you my life today, and I love you, and I thank you for loving me in Jesus' name. Father, I just pray for every person that prayed that prayer for the very first time. God, I know that all of heaven is rejoicing right now, and I just pray that joy unspeakable would fill their hearts, that the peace of God that the book of Galatians talks about that passes all understanding would just umpire and rule their heart right now and fill them with the peace of God that passes understanding. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to share your word today and to preach the good news that Paul talks about. 
And I thank you, Lord, for the grace that you give us. God, we are all in need of your grace. And I thank you for that. Thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.